Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. No Stanford football, no Pac-12 football, no Pac-12 fall sports in 2020. Still a lot of questions out there and not enough answers at this point. So where do we stand right now? We'll get an expert's opinion on those very things on this episode of the TreeCast with Troy Clarity presented by the Believe Podcast Network. Glad you're with us on Wednesday, August 19th, 2020. Hope that you've had a good week so far. Hope that you are staying healthy and doing what you need to do, what we all need to do to uh, beat COVID-19. And if you're here with us in the uh, Bay Area and in Northern California, you're also dealing with smoke and fires as well. Be safe. Be safe and do what you can to uh, stay out of harm's way and uh, just be safe out there. That's uh, that's all we would like you to do here um, on the show. Well, we'd also like you to keep listening to the program as well because I think we have a special guest that I think you're going to want to hear from. He is Stanford football head coach David Shaw. We'll get his reaction to the Pac-12 halting all competition until January 1st at the very earliest. What went into that decision as he sits on numerous committees that assisted the Pac-12 in eventually coming to that conclusion that that playing this fall just was not safe, a conclusion that, that I agreed with, and all sorts of other things as far as where Stanford football sits right now. So... Coach and I will have that conversation coming up in just a minute. First off, just a couple of quick reminders. You want to follow me on Twitter, you are more than welcome to do so. At Troy Clarity is the way to go. At Troy Clarity, the last name is spelled C-L-A-R-D-Y. Proud to have 27 years of following Stanford football under my belt. And uh, proud to have six years of play-by-play with the Pac-12 Network under my belt as well. And this is... This will be the second time that uh, David Shaw has joined us one-on-one over the past few months, as he also did so back in April. You want to go back and cross-reference our chat with him then to the conversation we're about to have with David Shaw now? I highly welcome you to do so. Uh, Check out The Vault on the TreeCast and uh, go and uh, re-listen to some of the great conversations that we've had over the past few months with Senator Cory Booker, with uh, Stanford men's basketball head coach Jared Haas, Stanford all-time legends in Brevin Knight, Mark Madsen, Troy Walters, uh, Jane Campbell, uh, Stanford women's soccer uh, goalkeeper who helped lead the Houston Dash uh, to an NWSL title under some intriguing circumstances. Uh, we had that conversation with her uh, just a couple of uh, weeks ago. So anywhere you want to go, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or on the Believe website at BLEAV.com. Uh, you want to go back and re-listen to the great interviews we've had. I highly encourage you to do so. We're about to have a great interview, I would imagine, coming up right here and now with Stanford head football coach David Shaw. And look, in an alternate universe far, far away, we are about two and a half weeks away from Stanford football's opener against William & Mary 
and getting things going in the 2020 season, which the Cardinal had a lot on its plate and a lot of potential uh, things for, 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 for great results this upcoming fall. Of course, we're not in that alternate universe. We're here. And we are talking about it now with Stanford head football coach David Shaw. Coach, always great to have you in on the program. Always appreciate the time. How you doing? Great. I'm doing great. Good to see you. Good to see you as well. And uh, let's just start here. Uh, you know, July 31st, the, the, the conference only slate was announced. Some excitement, some hope. It wasn't any guarantees or anything like that, but there was a lot of hope that it was going to be pulled off. And then, you know, last week, the, pull, the, the, the plug gets pulled. Your overall reaction on, on how we got to this point and, and why this had to happen. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, the, the schedule was released. We're all very positive. And right around that same time, uh, many people saw the reports coming out about the anxiety created by this new uh, heart um, abnormality that may be uh, caused by the virus um, and the fact that it could be uh, it could be caused by the virus in people that maybe don't exhibit symptoms. Um, and not, not only that, that you could probably have it and a regular EKG wouldn't be able to find it. So uh, the fact of all these people that have had the virus and have now shed the virus and still feel great, um, that a, a cardiac MRI is the only way to truly know. So to hear uh, very well-respected, world-renowned cardiologists say, I don't know what to tell you all. I don't know what to tell your student athletes. I don't know what to tell their parents. Um, that caused us to, to, to pause. And there was a big article in ESPN not too long ago that kind of cataloged um, what a lot of the, the experts are, are anxious about, which once again, may be proven, uh, not necessarily, but where we are dealing with student athletes, that caused a lot of us to pause. And the crazy thing is right about the same time, a lot of tests were done. And you've seen a lot of people working out, wearing these neck gaiters. Um, that the neck gaiters probably don't work very well, if at all. Um, the CDC now says they're not sure if the shields that we want to put on the helmets uh, combined with masks will really uh, help. Um, and why that's important is not just the transmission of the disease. So if somebody has the, the virus, then it could transmit. Um, but the fact that if somebody has the virus, anybody that that person contacts is now a high risk contact and they're all going to be out for two weeks. So if you can imagine practicing and someone having the virus and going back through the practice film and saying, okay, every serious contact that you had during the course of practice, you and that person are all going to sit out for two weeks or those people. Um, the combination of those two things, not having answers about the heart, right, which we don't ever want to mess with the brain and the heart, not having answers about the heart, and also not being able to say that practices are going to be able to be safe. And there are these things that we were counting on to keep people safe and also keep people from being in a high-risk contact. Now those things don't happen anymore, but how do you practice? And then God forbid, how do you travel and play? Um, so those are questions that we just don't have answers to. And a big reason why our conference decided to hit the pause button. Yeah, as the return to play process, or at least attempted to unfold from the time that, that individual activities were allowed in early July up until the, uh, the plug got pulled a couple weeks ago or, so, or last week, I should say, um, what did you feel most confident in as, as the process unfolded? And what were your biggest concerns that, that, that maybe cropped up in, as, as the process went along? My biggest comfort level was getting to training camp. Because I know if we could get everybody to training camp, training camp is the definition of isolation, right? There's no, nobody from the outside. We keep everybody tight and close. We, we do bed checks at night, so everybody's going to be there. 
Um, if we got to training camp healthy, I knew we we're going to be able to handle those three and a half weeks, um, everybody tight, everybody together, be able to practice full speed and not worry about any outside uh, issues. Um, my, my things of concern were still the season and making sure that travel was okay, making sure that opposing hotels and bus rides were all okay. Um, those, those were still questions that we were, we're still grappling with that the, the conferences that are still playing are still attempting to play, they're still grappling with. Um, uh, some places will not have, have fans. How, fans. how close can the fans get to the, to the student athletes? Um, how, what, how do you keep the, a, a big enough distance between them? Um, so there, there's a lot of questions that still need to be answered for those uh, conferences that are attempting to play. Had it reached a point, at least on the Pac-12 level, where it was like, okay, when you travel, it's going to need to be the day of game. Had it reached a point like that? Some of those conversations were had, and it's, it's really difficult because air travel dehydrates you. And to, to take a flight that morning and then play that late afternoon or evening, um, the hydration was going to be really, really difficult to do because typically you can do it um, if you travel in the evening before, hydrate that evening, hydrate the next morning, and you should, your body should be ready to go. So th uh, that was a difficult um, part of it, um, along with all the other potential issues as well. It's one of the things I loved about traveling with the team. You got Gatorade on demand all the time, and there's a big reason uh, behind that. Um, what was your message to the team uh, after the cancellation? What was announced? Obviously, a lot of disappointment, a lot of frustration, I'd imagine. What was your message to the guys? Well, anticipating some of the, the outside voices and, and some of the things that, that, are, that are swirling around all of college sports, um, I, I first reminded them that there's no us versus them. Um, there's just us. Uh, the only them is the virus. Um, we're all on the same page. We all want to play. We all want our young people to play. They've worked so hard. But we told them from the very, very beginning that everything we, be, we do will be dependent on our medical professionals and, and their advice. Um, this is not coaches or administrators really making these decisions. These are all of us listening to the advice of people that have earned our trust and that do a great job looking out for our student athletes. And if they advise us, hey, you know what, it's good to continue, then we would continue. If they advise us to, to hit the pause button, to wait for more information and to see if we can restart again, then that's what we were going to do. So from that point, it became really an easy decision for all of us. Um, our guys, as much as they were disappointed, they got it. Um, and they appreciated it too, because they had a lot of questions. Their parents had a lot of questions. Um, they want to play, but gosh, can we, can we do this? Can we make this happen? Um, because not only, not only do the, obviously the coaches and trainers, and we have higher risk factors than the student athletes. Um, you still have student athletes that have asthma. You still have student athletes that have some, some, some things that, that, that cause you cause concern and, um, you know, can we, can we do this thing safely for them, for, for, for everybody, not just for the high percentage of them, but for, for everybody. Um, that was the question. Yeah. As a head coach, you're always dealing with, you know, information from different sources, from the student athletes themselves, uh, from the parents, as you just mentioned, from the medical staff, uh, from the athletic department itself. It, that Dealing with that hasn't been new to you because that's part of, that's part of your job, but, how had those conversations kind of changed, the tenor of those conversations kind of changed over the last few months when everyone's dealing with this and trying to grapple with this and, and try to figure out the best way forward? Well, I, I would say this. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm better at most than being, uh, at being, at not being reactionary. Um, I'm better at most at staying calm and, and 
being structured and ordered. I mean, that's, that's my nature. I like to say I, I am a Stanford man, right? So I like to, I like to have answers for the questions. I have to anticipate the questions. This has been really difficult for all of us because we all have questions and there aren't enough answers to go around. And, um, and that, that's been the hardest part for me, uh, even on top of not being able to work with my guys, um, work with our team, not having answers for them. I mean, that, that's the hardest thing for me um, because once again, we know how this thing works. These, these parents, they turn them over to, to us for us to take care of them. And if I don't have an answer, um, I, I want to hit the pause button because I like to have answers. I have to say, hey, this is how we do it. This is how we deal with injuries. This is how we deal with that. Um, this is how we try to prepare to, to keep them from being injured. And with this virus, and a lot of people, uh, you know, we, we, th we look at this from where we are right now. But if you, if you take the 10,000-foot the view, um, a, a virus, um, granted, this, we haven't been through this in, 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 in the modern days. Um, there have been other ones that have maybe not been as widely spread. But viruses usually take at least a year to figure out, um, let alone come up with, a, with, a, with an anecdote or, or, or a serum of some kind. Um, so we're, we're really about six months into to figuring this thing out. And we still learn something. seems like every week we figure something out. Um, so that, that's helped me understand, like, hey, you know what? We're in a position where nobody really has the answers. Um, we have a lot of people that are trying to find answers. We're finding some answers here and there. Um, but then sometimes we find out three weeks later that that, init that initial answer, oh, that wasn't the answer. That led us to the real answer. So those are things that are, are hard, which, which for me now, we're playing a, store, a sport with student athletes that um, are in our care. And if we don't have great answers and their health is, is even slightly at risk, then we need to operate with caution. Well, right now, at least as of this moment as we speak, the Pac-12's answer for fall sports and football seems to be uh, trying to get things going again in the winter or in the spring. I uh, saw so you mentioned earlier this week that you would hope that for football-wise, if everything is safe and everything is good to go, that starting earlier, like during the winter, would be the best way to go. Kind of expand on those thoughts and what gets placed on the table when the season gets moved to either the winter or the spring. Well, uh, it's, two, it's two things for me. First and foremost, once again, the medical professionals. And first of all, with the virus, can, can we possibly operate um, starting in January, right? Well, hopefully we'll have an answer to that before January. You know, as we get into the late fall, early winter months, what does the flu uh, look like? How, how does that affect everything else? Um, do we have better answers? I mean, they, we come back and our doctors are very honest with us. They say, hey, you know what? We might come back in another month and a half and say, hey, you know what? We're not as worried about this heart um, abnormality. Uh, we, we think we have a handle on it. We think we can detect it um, and without putting anybody at risk. So that would be a huge thing going forward. Um, so if we got to that point, that's number one. The doctors say, hey, you know, it's okay. The second part of the doctors also is saying, okay, what kind of a season can we have that we believe our young people will have a chance to recover by next August when we start banging again. So that's, the, that's another big question for our doctors is can we, when's, when's a good start date and when's a good stop date to allow their bodies to recover? Um, because many of us said from the beginning, uh, the one thing that we don't want to affect is the fall of 21. Right? We don't want to affect the fall of 21. So whether that's shortening the fall of 21 or that's having such a late season in spring that now we have too many guys that'll miss the fall of 21 because of injuries and still trying to recover 
Um, so that's another, that's a big one. And the, the last part of it to me was just talking to our student athletes. And that was, that's been pretty much the consensus of our guys is many of them, especially if they, if they're younger, they don't want to try to play two football seasons in one calendar year. Um, that, that makes them anxious and, and, and understandably so. So many of them said, gosh, if we can start in January and maybe end in March, um, now I can look at it common sense wise and say, my bar, my, my, my body will have from April all the way through July to truly get back and start to train and really prepare myself for the fall of 21. It could also affect, you know, guys who have designs on going into the NFL draft in 2021. Uh, I've seen Walker Little pop up as a first round pick. I've seen Paulson Adebo pop up as a possible first round pick as well. A couple other guys uh, with some positioning as well. A football season this fall would have been a great chance for them to, uh, for, for them to raise their stock. A any initial thoughts on how moving to the winter and the spring could potentially affect the roster at this point? Well, I think you'll see across the nation over the next month um, quite a few guys, uh, most likely in, in our conference and the Big Ten, uh, make announcements that they'll go to the NFL draft. And it's completely understandable um, because if you are slated that high, it just makes sense. Um, instead of trying to play even a winter season, even if it ended in March, that, that draft is in April. So you really don't have a time to truly train and, and, uh, and go through drills, et cetera, for the scouts. Um, for some of those guys that are on that bubble, a winter season for them would be great. They wouldn't have the same time to train, but they could actually use that, uh, that time uh, and, and these games to raise their stock. So you could see some guys that were kind of on the bubble saying, hey, let me look at this winter season. Hey, if I, I can go out there and perform in this somewhere four, six, eight game, whatever it is, um, season, I now could actually go and be ready for that April draft and raise my stock for that draft. Um, so I think those two things make sense. So, but if, if we try to do something too late, then even those bubble guys would have a tough decision to make and say, gosh, if I go play in the spring and, and play after the draft um, and I play well, man, would I want to come back and play again in the fall or is there a supplemental draft? Is there something else? So I, I think the later it is, the, the more complicated it gets for all parties. One of the things that makes Stanford unique, I, I, I sense, is that the camaraderie between the athletics programs that, that extends amongst the student athletes. And I think it also extends, it seems to extend uh, amongst the coaches as well. And I think that it gets lost in the conversation that it's not just football when it comes to all the fall sports uh, being put on pause. You know, it's the soccers, it's volleyball, women's volleyball, uh, you know, powerhouse programs at Stanford that are, that are also hitting the pause button as well. Uh, in how, how much interaction have you had with the other coaches that have been affected by this? And what's, what, what's the general mood been? Yeah, we've had a lot of conversations. Um, we, we've, we've traded information about how to best prepare um, our training staff and our doctors have been great. They've been outstanding in, in, in all of this preparation. And um, it's, it's hit us all really hard. It's been very difficult. Once again, trying to have answers for our student athletes, um, both for school, for housing, for meals, and for, for training. Um, and then what our season will look like uh, if we get one. Um, so the, we, we've had a lot of uh, conversations about those things um, and really trying to find a way to keep our young people engaged, um, give them some semblance of a of a of a formula uh for what to do for now um those have been the big conversations and um once again i commend all of them because they do such a great job and 
other thing I'll say too that we've we've guarded people against both our people and people on the outside that are trying to compare what we do to either the NFL or, or the NBA. Um, right now, both of those both of those um, professional leagues they're testing everybody every single day. They're creating a bubble um, that we all know is basically impossible in, in college athletics to create that kind of an NBA bubble. Um, but also testing every single day. It's not just the football players we're talking about. You'd have to test every single sport, every single coach, every single trainer, every single person that's interacting with our team every single day. And for an NFL team with with far fewer people to test, they're still doing that in, in I don't know how many hours. It takes four or five hours to get through everybody. Um, We would double or triple that. Um, So it's really not not just about expensive it is, it's just how practical that is to even attempt to do something like that. And the turnaround of the results, I'm sure, is a, is a big factor at this point um, as well. I was so looking forward to seeing Davis Mills, the offensive line, healthy, and that wide receiver room. Now, I go back a long ways with this program. I remember, you know, Troy Walters, Dave Davis, Durrani Pitts. I remember Armour, uh, Shaw. Uh, Manning, that was a pretty neat little crew too. Uh, uh, Mark Harris uh, showed up every once in a while as well. But this crew, this wide receiving crew, I've never seen it this deep. I was so excited to see what they could do this fall. What excited you most about this fall that as of now you might not get a chance to see? So, uh, gosh, there's a lot with that group that excites me. Um, as you said, those sparked by Davis Mills and his ability that he showed late, late in the year when he's completely healthy. Um, he's got as much talent as anybody in America. Um, but for me, it's the versatility of this group. Um, the fact that they, there's so many different things that they can do. Every single one of them can do the intermediate stuff, but also every single one of them can be can do the deep ball, right? Simi Pahoko broke the school record for yards per catch in a season this past year, whereas you still saw Mike, Michael Wilson, you still saw um, Connor Weddington, you saw Osiris over the last couple of years make some big plays and big catches down the year. So You've got a group of guys that we, we think can really, really impact the game uh, play after play, not to mention um, guys like Elijah Higgins coming along or developing a role for him and not to mention our tight end. So um, that's, that has been exciting, and we'll see uh, how that translates if we do have a winter season or spring season, um, or we'll see what combination of these guys will, will come back and, and compete in the fall of 21 if we don't get a season. Um, but I'm with you that this, this group has a chance to be truly, truly special. A couple last things for you here, and I want to kind of widen the, the shot and get a big, bigger perspective here from you here. It seems like on a lot of different levels as of right now, uh, college football is at a bit of a crossroads on the field, off the field, how business is done, all sorts of other things um, with, with, it seems like everything is at a crossroads at this point. Um, with the, with specifically with, with this sport, which directions do you hope college football takes from here? That's a great question. Um, so two things for me. Uh, number one, I'm really anxious, excited, all at the same time um, for the name, image, and likeness to really come to fruition. I think it's going to be an absolute game changer. Um, I think it's going to change a lot of people's views on, you know, for those people out there that are just – down on amateur athletics, in particular uh, college football and men's basketball. Um, so I, I think that's going to be a huge change. It's going to alleviate a lot of issues. Um, I think it's going to be a big help to, to those people. I just, um, like many people, 
um, would love some some uh, help from our our our, our uh, national um, government, um, and not in a way to restrict the student athletes, just in a way to restrict the involvement of the institutions. Um, let's give the young people the freedom that they deserve um, to 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 engage in society in a way that they can use their name, image, and likeness to make money. Um, I think that's exciting for our our student athletes. I think that's a great thing. Um, I just think that we should be restricted from using those those things to recruit, et cetera. <clears throat> so we, I think we can give them their freedom, but restrict the, the, the universities. Um, on top of that, you, you would love for the continual push for uniformity. Uh, and I've been on this train for a long time and mm -hmm. people have talked about creating some kind of a, a czar, um, college football czar. I, I don't know about that. A lot of, a lot of uh, commissioners will have issues with somebody from a central office telling them what to do. Um, but at the same time, I would love to see more uniformity across how we schedule, um, how we operate, how we redo, handle recruiting, how we interpret NCAA rules. Um, there's a lot of different interpretations out there. So you would love to have a little bit more uniformity in, in some of the ways that we operate. Um, and I'm excited for what Name Image Likeness will do for our student athletes. All right, as we wrap this up here, probably the simplest question I've got for you for today, but it's probably the most difficult in a lot of different ways. Um, what now? What now for the team? What now for the coaches? What now for you? Yeah, short-term wise, um, we're working with within the conference and with the NCAA on describing this period, right? We've never had this before. What is this? Is this an in-season period? Is it an out-of-season period? So some talk about, okay, how many hours can we work with our student athletes? What can we do with our student athletes? Um, and it's, we're not in a spring football period. So really putting some definitions around what we do now. Um, for a lot of our guys, we've, we've toned it down a little bit because we still don't have school yet. So a lot of places are starting their, their academics and we're not, and we don't have a, a, a season that's imminent. So, you know, some of our guys have gone home, uh, our guys that are working, we've, we, we're, we're out of the season is imminent mode into, hey, we're just, we're training and we're, we're getting, we're improving ourselves athletically. Um, so really for us, it's defining this period time of time right now. And at the same time, trying to diagnose with our medical professionals, what does it look like we will be able to do um, in, in January? You know, can we start to train in October to get ready for a January season? What does the virus look like it's doing? Is this thing ever going to level off um, to where, especially for the California schools, for the Arizona schools, um, to really be able to get on the field and practice because our, those areas in particular um, they've still been hampered a bit, as, as have we had in Seattle as well. So there's a lot of stuff going on that uh, our doctors are going to help us with, that just our national data, once again, and our local data, not get into the politics of it. The politics are not what's important here. What's important is um, what are, or do our areas look like with this virus going around that we can actually operate safely. And we've seen around the country where even people tried to bring the student athlete, the students back on campus and then had to send them back off campus. Um, so there, there's, there's still so much going on with this virus that we just can't take it lightly. No doubt about that. And uh, hopefully, ideally, everything coalesces and forms and we're all back on the field and uh, back at it, uh, ideally, by uh, early January. Not on his plate as usual, and a lot of uh, questions and a lot of answers that are still out there for all of us to uh, try to figure out. And David Shaw, when it comes to Stanford football, 
he is going to be on the forefront of trying to figure everything out. Coach, always appreciate the time. Great to see you. Uh, looking forward to our next chance to cross paths whenever that might be. And uh, stay healthy. Best of luck to you, your family, and the staff. And uh, we'll talk again soon. Sounds good. Take care. That's David Shaw. Always great to have him on the show. And, uh, yeah, he was, he was just like us back on July 31st. Hopeful for the best and hopeful that uh, the conference-only slate that was announced that day, July 31st, would be able to be played to its completion. And he, you know, he, he told us, you know, if, if, if they could just get to training camp, if they could just get there, he felt very good about uh, the rest of the team being able to stay healthy uh, and for them to be able to possibly pull it off. Of course, that did not happen. And I, I appreciate coach certainly going through and giving us the details of all the things that they took into consideration when it came to came to making sure that that the players were as safe as they could possibly be and as we talked about on last week's treecast when we broke down the decision and broke down the announcement that that all competition would be halted that look I said this was not something that that they just came to lightly and on a whim. There's way too much money at them uh, for, for, uh, at stake for them to have just just come at this very very lightly. And there were a lot of a lot of boxes that would have needed to be checked in order for the Pac-12 to have said, you know what, we got to pull the plug on this. And unfortunately, as of right now, all of those boxes are checked. And you know the the the, the studies on on heart issues that could potentially arise from COVID-19, that appeared to be the, the thing that just changed everything and about how much we, do, we, we know and still don't know about that facet of things. Also brought up some things equipment-wise, uh, did Coach Shaw. Neck gaiters. I'd never, I'd never heard that term before. I'm glad he could go into that with us. Uh, the, some other equipment issues with, with the shields on the masks, about how, how those might not quite be as effective as, as the CDC might want them to be, and a bunch of other things. There, there are so many different facets to all of this and trying to get ready for the season and do it in a safe way. I'm sure that Stanford football director of operations, Matt Doyle, has plenty of stories to tell from his experience over the past few months and trying to make sure that everything is good to go. But, but, but travel considerations, you know, Coach and I discussed, you know, the fact that, you know, hey, you know, cut out a hotel trip, uh, a hotel stay, which can be fraught with its own dangers in this day and age, by having the kids fly up the morning of the game. And, well, quite honestly, that might not be the safest way to go. And I'd imagine that'll also have an effect on kickoff times too, right? Because, you know, you can't have the guys flying up the morning of the game very first thing, step off the plane, bust straight to the stadium and have a 12:30 kickoff. That's just not safe in all likelihood. So, so many different things went into this. I'm glad that David Shaw could, could go into that with us. And I'm also glad that, that he brought up the fact that they're just – hasn't been the solidarity across college football that we thought we would see in the approach to this. Because that was the case early on, right? I mean, all the the Power Five commissioners were were pretty much guaranteeing we are, you know, shoulder to shoulder. We are a lock, we're in lockstep together. We're gonna make all the decisions we need to make together. And everything was cool with that until the Big Ten and their commissioner Kevin Warren pushed the vase off the shelf and decided to go conference only. He was the first 
the first of the Power Five conferences to do that, to make that decision in early July. And once that happened, it was pretty much every conference for itself. And so here we are right now with the Big Ten and the Pac-12 not playing and with the SEC, the ACC, and the Big 12 still pushing forward as, as far as they possibly can, come heck or high virus, it seems. And, you know, it's, it's, you, you look at that, and then you look at what's happening on some of the campuses, particularly at North Carolina, particularly at, at, at Notre Dame to this point, who brought kids back only to have to reverse course on that and now go online only for the remainder of their fall semesters within 10 days of classes starting up. Stanford, by the way, made the announcement last week that it is going online only and not going to stagger classes on campus as had been the original plan. Stanford is going to be online only uh, for the fall quarter. The, the university made that decision and that announcement last week. But Shaw has not been shy about how there needs to be more uniformity across college football, certainly in conference scheduling, because the Pac-12 plays nine conference games. The SEC does not. It only plays eight. It kind of games the system a little bit. And not only does it play eight, it also allows them to put a little cupcake, you know, Northwest, North Carolina, A&T, and M, and U in there in mid-November before you got to play Bama the next week. SEC's kind of been gaming the system in that respect. ACC to a lesser extent as well. So, you know, David Shaw has been pounding the table as, as, as much as David Shaw can possibly do anyway. He doesn't really strike me as much of a, a pounding the table kind of guy. I'm sure if it comes to that, he does it. But he has been at, at the forefront among college coaches and saying, hey, look, we need to have uniformity across conference scheduling across the Power Five conferences. So he would have loved to have seen and would love to see going forward a bit more solidarity amongst the Power Five conferences going forward with this. And he's, I, I think he's right, you know, whether it takes what a czar, as, as Coach Shaw put it. You know, Pat Forty and I talked about this of, uh, of a Sports Illustrated when I had Pat on the show last month. You know, we talked about this, the fact that there isn't a unifying voice, a unifying entity in college football. It's not the NCAA. It, it isn't, there, there, there just isn't that overriding entity there that can provide interpretations and provide guidelines that the conferences really seem to need right now. And the NCAA is, is not equipped, it appears, to be able to do those, those kinds of things. So I'm right there with him in that there needs to be a more cohesive national leadership for college football. I would not mind seeing that one bit. I mean, look, these are strange and unprecedented times in college football, right? I mean, this is, it's going to be weird. It's going to be super weird not spending my Saturdays this fall with Stanford football. I'm sure you feel the same way. It's going to be extremely weird not having Pac-12 football on the docket this fall. But here we are, and for the foreseeable future, this is what it looks like. And hopefully we all do the things that we need to do to make sure that, that things get restored and that folks are back on the field and competing and doing what they love to do by January. 
Our thanks again to David Shaw for joining us and being with us here on the program. Any reaction you have, I always welcome it. Hashtag TreeCast via Twitter. Hashtag TreeCast, the best way to have your thoughts heard on the program. Don't forget to subscribe to the show. We'll, we'll keep this going. We'll figure out a way to keep it going. <laughs> I'm, I'm amazed I was able to keep this, to string this along through the spring and the summer, quite honestly. But we'll keep it going. We'll, we'll figure it out and we'll find a way to keep this thing going uh, through the fall, even though there are no fall sports scheduled to be played for either Stanford or the Pac-12. But uh, we'll keep it going. As, as, as long as we possibly can. Subscribe to the show, rate and review the show. If you love the program, tell the world about it. If you don't like the program, tell me about it and let me know what I can do to make it better. We wanna, wanna keep it going. And I certainly appreciate uh, your, your efforts and your input uh, on that. Special thanks once again to our guest, David Shaw. Looking forward to our next chance to catch up with him. And looking forward to our next chance to catch up with you. Don't drink and drive. If you do, you're the dumbest person on the planet. Every bit as dumb as the person who still refuses to wear a mask in this day and age. Do it. Mask it or casket. And we'll talk to you next time on the TreeCast with Troy Clarity. Presented by the Believe Podcast Network. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.